Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 198 of Horror Movie Podcast, and it's brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and promo code HMP. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I am Gilman Joel Robertson, and my horror co-hosts are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh. Can we panic now? Uh, yes, we probably should. <laughs> okay. This is a Frankensteinian episode where we'll be bringing you feature reviews of 2020 releases, including Becky, Vivarium, and The Beach House. You'll also be getting mini reviews for One BR, or One Bedroom, depending on how you want to say it, Blood Quantum, After Midnight, The Hunt, Porno, Zombie for Sale, and Scare Package. So I guess, I know we don't have a ton of things to talk about at the top, but I did want to mention the biggest news that uh, I think has come across the, the transom here recently is that Halloween Kills, not surprising at all, is delayed until 2021. It's it's very depressing. I I really can't see there being this is just this is sort of jumping ahead here, but I can't see there being an Oscar ceremony this year. I think this might be the first year since whenever it started that we're not going to have an Oscar ceremony and it's because, you know, I mean we always think about, you know, that well the the release dates of movies have been delayed, but Everything's been delayed. Production, post-production, everything is delayed. So all of the movies that were in the pipeline are now months and months behind. I mean, what was it? Ghostbusters was supposed to be out maybe already or at least coming up soon. The new Ghostbusters, that's now out to March of 2021. Some of these movies just require so much post-production that yeah, well, and nobody's working on any of these films. Nobody's working in California right now. And from the looks of it, the way California's going with the virus in recent news, I don't see them getting back to work anytime soon. Yeah, well, Jason Reitman actually talked about this recently. He's saying he's doing a lot of post-production work on Ghostbusters, and he's actually excited because it's given him time to like work out kinks that they couldn't have if they'd have had to rush to release. So I'm okay with that. And actually, David Gordon Green said something similar to that about Halloween. It's it's giving him a chance to kind of fine-tune it in a way he wouldn't have been able to. And, yeah. and also, they're getting an IMAX release. That was part of the I bargain that. Yeah. that they made. So they're going to allow them to do an IMAX version of Halloween Kills because of the delay. And so 
Look, I, I I tweeted this, and it's true. If they had released it out of Gun to See to the Drive-In and bought the Blu-ray day and date, I would have supported the crap out of this movie, but can't really fault them for it. And definitely it's safer for society, so I appreciate the responsibility yes. there as well, although I'm sure it was only monetary <laughs> in terms of uh, the, dis- we'll give the, the benefit discussion. Of the doubt. Let's give them the benefit. Yeah, it was, it was totally uh, based on altruism. <laughs> Protect society. <laughs> no, you know, my, so I've got, this is a little bit of telling tales out of school, but um, because all the productions are shut down in California and Utah is what it is, a lot of productions, especially for commercials, are sneaking up to Utah to shoot commercials, which is probably why Utah is one of the highest uh, outbreak COVID places in, in the world right now. Uh, but, you know, they're shooting all of these commercials in Utah. My friend who's a cinematographer just told me, he's like, yeah, I cleared $100,000 last month shooting commercials. I was like, what? <laughs> and then Josh said, honey, hand me my mask. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I know, seriously. <laughs> and I just want to say something that I think amongst the fans who have been dying to see Halloween kills. And I count myself among all of the fans that feel that way. I will, I want to say something that might be a little contrarian, but I just, I want to put it out there, which is when I heard this news, a, I was relieved and I was relieved because I feel like had they done VOD that I just don't think it would, it would, first, it wouldn't have been the same experience. I mean, seeing Halloween, the 2018 version in a theater packed with people was a fun, fun experience. And I want to have that same experience. I think as a lot of us do to see that in a theater packed with people, hopefully, you know, that, you know, just, just enjoying it. But I think with, if it's video on demand, I just, you know, yes, these are quote unquote, lower budget movies by comparison to other ones. And they would have more than made their money back. But when you consider that Halloween 2018 made almost a quarter of a billion dollars, you know, in theaters, that's a lot of money to leave on the table to assume that this one would do as well. And I know everyone brings up things like the the uh, the was it the Trolls World World Tour. Look how big how look how big it was. Yeah, it was at the beginning of a pandemic, and it's a kids movie. Of course, it was right. huge because people wanted to exactly. give their kids something to watch. Would Halloween? Kids were home. Kids I don't. Still, kids weren't at school. Kids were home, yes. and that the parents needed to keep them entertained somehow. So yeah, and I don't I don't know the number. Did we ever find out the numbers on like The Hunt or Invisible Man? Because I know they had already been in theaters, but I don't know right. how. Well, they did when ported over. I don't, I don't know what it broke down. Now, the thing is, though, didn't Regal and AMC come out and say that they were not going to play uh, movies like for because of Trolls was yes. done by the same studio that's doing Halloween Kills that they were not Universal. going to release yeah. their movies in theaters. I had did they ever did they back down on that? I would think they, they'd have to. I've heard they're in, I've heard that yes, I was the gauntlet that was thrown down. I have heard rumblings of, of I kind of feel like by the time they're all able to open up again and show movies, they'll to survive, I feel like probably everyone's going, like, you know what, uh, all's forgiven. Let's just do what we got to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly. Because I noticed that the Regal anyway in our area, the movies that they announced that, that they're showing once they reopen, they're going back. They're showing like Rocky, Jurassic Park, Universal, the three, the, the three Batman, Batman Begins yeah. and The Dark Knight and all these other movies. I can understand that, but a lot of people have seen these and own these movies. Are they really going to go out and wear a mask in a theater to see these films that they've probably seen before? I don't know if I fully understand the reasoning behind that. Josh, do you have a theory? I mean, I wouldn't go out due to COVID, but yeah. I I would definitely go to the theater to watch those films. I just don't, not under these heightened circumstances. Yeah. I would too. I would too, but I, I'm saying that 
people a lot of people might have seen those films already they're not they're not going that far back you know rocky is rocky from 70s that one would be kind of cool i didn't yeah. see that on a big screen but i see i get your point dave i think the, the and, I, and i'm just assuming here i think the theory is it's a gradual way to open up to have some content for people to consume in that environment right. and it gets them in the theaters it gets it will get a lot of people but they're theoretically only I think what's supposed to be a filled 50% capacity in most places that kind of thing so mm -hmm. and being that they don't really have any new content it's just like a gradual rollout right to go from they don't want to go from zero to 60. So they're going to go, you know, zero to 10 to 15 to 20 and just gradually build up. And then maybe you get that the one big movie, like a tenant or something. And you put it in like all the theaters and your, you know, multiplex. And then right. I think that's going to be the way they do it. As far as universal and the AMC regal conundrum, I personally think that by the time Halloween kills, I am probably just an eternal optimist, but my, theory is it will have gone by i'm sure they'll come up with some deal i have to you know what because with with that movie especially like you said a quarter of a billion dollars that's a lot of money theatrically do, do they really want to sit on the sidelines for that do, well, no, for, forget that dude as much as i love halloween do they want to sit on the sidelines for the last jurassic park movie and the next fast no. and the furious movie i don't think so no, <laughs> I no don't they're think not, they, they don't do. want to sit on the sidelines for any of it no because uh, they've lost a lot of money and all and you know, it's just throwing this out there. The whole thing with the, you know, I'm guessing people have to wear masks in the theater. That might kill concessions. Yeah. And concessions are where these theaters make their money. Yep. I mean, first week release, they're sending 90% of the box office back to Hollywood. Yep. They're only keeping 10% of that. Concessions are where they make their money. And that's why it's so expensive. And that's why I don't complain to pay $6 for a water because I know it's keeping the theater going. Yeah. More importantly, if they do this, we're just going to have COVID until there's a vaccine. We're just going to be having it forever. It's never going to stop. Like, it's just like I was looking at uh, the New York Times released a thing the other day of the top 25 locations in the world where the biggest COVID outbreaks are happening right now. Of the top 25, 10 of those are in foreign countries. The rest of them, the other 15 are U.S. states. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's like the top five are Arizona, Florida, yep. South Carolina, Bahrain. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. Louisiana, Qatar. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how, how bad it is. Yeah. And Utah's number 22 on that list between Brazil and Chile. So it's like, okay, can we get this under wraps, please? I'd like to leave my house eventually. Yes, it would be nice. It would be nice. But, you know, I, I mm. again, I, I'm going to play the contrarian say I'm actually marginally. I'm, I'm happy that they're delaying Halloween Kills, to your point, Josh, the safety concern, obviously, but from a purely selfish fan perspective, I'm also thankful because I got to be honest with you, I like the buildup to these things. And I realize that once it's here, it's gone, right? Once. What? 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 No, I just think this is funny. Like, do this, you, you like it for the delayed gratification of it all? Is that what yes. you're saying? Is that weird? Like, <laughs> no, it's foreplay. I think of it like foreplay. It's like. <laughs> It's cinematic foreplay, people. Uh, it, it, it is the buildup. It is the fact that if we, we got that movie in, in a couple months, it's done. Okay. And we're going to get the next one. It's done. And then it'll all be in the rearview mirror. And I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, the faster time seems to go. And I'm like, it'll be gone before we know it. So like, you right. know what? We get another year of speculation. We get another the year of play, the foreplay, and then one massive bang. And it's all, and over. it's all gone. But this is I'm, more masochism to me. Full <laughs> <laughs> sadomasochist. I, you, hey, you, you, don't judge me. You don't know what I'm into. Um, and so, 
<laughs> I mean, look, I value your kink, but it's uh, it's a lot for me. It's a long wait. Okay, I got you. I got you. Well, but and I will say this: I also am happy in the pers- from the perspective of Halloween ends coming out the year after Halloween Kills. Initially, I was like, "Yeah, man, are they gonna like? It will it feel rushed?" Or you know, I didn't know. But now they got another extra year to get that son of a gun done. So I, I don't know. I'm, I am actually not upset that they did this uh, for the same reason. I'm not upset, even though initially my kids were not thrilled about the bumping Godzilla yet again. Um, it, you know, it's turning into the new mutants of the uh, Kaiju world where it's just right. going to keep getting bumped and bumped. But I told those like, guys, look, if he came out uh, in November and this thing probably will not be completely remedied by then, I'm just going to say it. Um, you know, we might be a situation where either even if it goes to theaters, it's like nobody's going to see it. And then if, and after Godzilla King of the Monsters didn't do that well, you know, I don't you know, wouldn't you rather it come out next year? Fingers crossed. There's something that's helping move the needle in the right direction with this thing. Right. And so we could actually go and just enjoy it. They're like, yeah. So I don't know. Personally, like I know people have talked about, oh, is Candyman coming? I doubt it. I think Candyman will get bumped. I think Quiet Place uh, 2 Quiet will get Place bumped. Quiet Place already bumped. Quiet Place should have been out on DVD for a month and a half already from its original release yeah. date. So, yeah. I mean, it's that, you know, the only th- I guess my only concern is can the theater survive that long? I don't know. I, my feeling is, is the next horror film that comes out is going to be the largest grossing horror movie. Of all it probably will be. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Okay, don't say that. They'll put the turning back out again. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, if, if Candyman were to come out, I would watch the crap out of that at the drive in. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, and yeah. like uh, um, although obviously like the best viewing experience is going to to see Halloween kills in the theater. Yes. There is a part of me that would just love to see that for the first time at a drive-in. I don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? No, it's just I get the it. nostalgia factor. Yeah, I, I want the I like the, I like the drive-in too and and unfortunately I there I, there aren't any in my general area. You know, unless they're going to start putting some up. I think they're going to come back. I think they're going to start building them yeah. and you're going to see these you know start to come back and I think that's awesome. I would love for the drive-ins to come back. I don't have any of the general area. I saw a post on Facebook that Walmart is, you know, using their parking lots. They're going to start showing uh, drive-in movies in their parking lot. And that's, and a lot of people are saying, don't support them, support the drive-ins. Well, that's great, but I don't have any drive-ins in my area. I've got about 10 Walmarts, but I don't have any (laughs) drive-ins. I also love the idea that, and I don't know if somebody had put this online. I don't know if it was Todd Farmer or somebody like that, but they were saying basically like, yeah, it's, isn't it ironic that all of the drive-ins were pulled down to build Walmarts and now we're going to turn them all back into drive-in theaters. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. And, and I, I think that I have actually, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate to have three in my immediate area, one in my town. And the one that was in Tampa and a man, I swear if I could have made it work, they were showing the original evil dead at a drive in man. And I told my wife, the only one I was like, look, this is very important. I said, you have to understand there's one movie that if it shows at that drive in, I, 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 you know, I'm going, I don't care how late they're showing it. It's happening by myself, the weirdo in his car by himself. And that is going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They show that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I don't care. I don't, I, you know what I would, I would drive to the nearest, I would drive to the nearest drive-in and I don't even know where the hell that is to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> On a Absolutely. drive-in screen. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yep. yep. I agree. All right. Well, not to completely derail us from, you know, our future reviews, <laughs> but uh, I did want to, I did want to at least mention the Halloween Kills news. I pretty sure everybody who listens to the show is fully aware that it has yeah. uh, been delayed, but uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. 
And a couple of other little bits of uh, news that we need to cover. Number one, we held a contest last episode to give away three digital copies of the new 4K transfer of Jaws, as well as a digital copy of Underwater. And the two ways you could enter were to come to the website and tell us about your favorite movie that we covered on the Aquatic Horror Cryptozoological, what was it? <laughs> Leviathons from the Deep episode. Yes. Or you could go to iTunes and leave us a review, preferably a five-star review. And we got zero entries in either location. <laughs> Just never happened. Not even on our very first contest did we get so few entries. So I don't know if I was talking too fast during that segment or people didn't know how to enter or just weren't interested in the prizes. But what we're going to do is we are going to give those away to some people who did comment at horrormoviepodcast.com, although they were not necessarily contest entrants. And the people who I wanted to point out, at least for the Jaws giveaway, and Dave will do his underwater giveaway, are three newer listeners to the show. Three people who I had noticed commented for the first time at horrormoviepodcast.com. So those people are Jason XXX, Swacious, and the Evil Pat. So congratulations to those three people, the Evil Pat, Jason XXX, and Swacious. You have all won a digital copy of Jaws in 4K. So just email us at horrormoviecast at gmail.com, and we will send those digital copies out to you. I also wanted to read the Evil Pat's comment. He said, this is my first time commenting, although I've been listening to HMP for a couple of months now. I found this wonderful podcast at a really tough time in my life and feel like it really helped me cope with all of the stuff that was happening around me. I started at episode one and I'm at episode 80 right now, but I plan on listening to the new episodes by the time they're released so I can come here and talk to you guys. seems like you are a really nice bunch around here. Greetings from the depths of the Bavarian forest in Germany, Pat. So, Thanks, Evil Pat. Um, we will send you and the other listeners these digital copies. I'm not sure if they will work in Germany, but let's give it a try. And if not, then we will have to find another contest winner for that particular digital download. Yep. Nice. And then, Dave, you added someone you were going to give a copy of Underwater to. Yes, I do. And this is also a uh, first-time commenter under the uh, new episode. It is Brandon S., uh, and he's a first-time commenter also. So Brandon S. wins the underwater digital copy. So again, send an email to horrormoviecast at gmail.com, and we'll get that right to you. And uh, Brandon S. actually said, uh, thanks so much, guys, and keep it up. You're doing good work for the horror community. Shutter was never even on my radar when I signed up the other day with the promo code, and I love it. So that's awesome. Thank you very much for doing that, uh, Brandon. Yes, Definitely. And the other thing I wanted to mention really quick is, so I don't even know if Joel knows this, but between the time we invited my friend Brandon Smith on the last episode to talk about his Kickstarter for the Bear Lake Monster and the time uh, I actually recorded the episode, I ended up joining that project as a producer. Oh, um, awesome. Are Congratulations. All, yeah. yeah. Yep. And I so um, the Kickstarter failed. <laughs> Oh, no. You know, it, it didn't have a whole lot of time, and I explained why that was uh, when we were even recording the episode, but we did have several listeners who supported, so thank you to everyone who did. Um, he's moving the crowdfunding thing over to Indiegogo, I believe, so I could put links to that in the show notes if people are interested. But the other bit of exciting news is that one of the producers of Tragedy Girls 
is also joining the project to help us get it made and is going to really help us shepherd the project. So um, awesome, man. That's great. That's, that's, that's really cool. I can't wait to see that. Yes. That is fantastic. So uh, check out the show notes for uh, at horrormoviepodcast.com if you are still interested in contributing, but the Kickstarter was down or you have contributed already. We would love it if you'd still consider supporting the project. And if I understand it right, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, and obviously you cut this if you don't want it in there, but with Indiegogo, the benefit is whatever you get, you get to keep, right? As opposed to Kickstarter, yeah. where if you don't hit the goal, you're out of luck. Even if you were right. $2 right. from Ex- it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, he he was far from his goal, but he still got like $23,000, which is nothing to sneeze at yeah, and would go a long right. way in sure. helping pre-production and casting and everything that needs to happen. But the way that it happened on Kickstarter is he launched right as kind of COVID became a big deal oh, and right yeah. in the week of George Floyd's death. Yeah. And so he didn't feel like he could go out and advertise yeah, very no, much very for it, yeah. which I think was the right choice, but yeah. it ended up kind of squashing his campaign. Sure, so. Sure. Um, yeah, the it, Indiegogo is not all or nothing the way Kickstarter is. So will allow us to collect that f- money and put it toward the production. And again, I think now that um, this other new producer is on board and, you know, some of my connections were actually, it's, it's definitely going to happen. And I'm excited about that. Awesome. So. Cool. Okay. You guys ready to jump into some feature review action then? Definitely. Let's, let's do it. All right. So first up is our feature review for Becky in 2020. What happened by your forward, Becky? Search continues for four inmates who escaped federal custody this morning. Authorities say the men are armed and extremely dangerous. What is she doing here? You let her walk all over you. She's 13. Jeff, this gentleman lost his dog. Okay, well, why don't you give us your number? My dog is a Rottweiler. Purebred, or as the Germans call them, Rottweiler Metzgerhund. That's why you never let them mate with other breeds. You get the worst of both. Okay, I think it's time for you to go. Stay calm. Where's Becky? Wait, wait! There once was a little girl. Becky! And she was good. Stop running! She was very, very good. And when she was bad, hey! she was horrid. I'm not going to let them get away with this. Okay, so Becky is a 2020. They, they have it listed on IMDb as action drama horror. Uh, I will say it's action horror. I mean, there's some okay. drama in there, but come on. I mean, it's brutal at times, which is just awesome. So here is the IMDb synopsis. A teenager's weekend at a lake house with her father takes a turn for the worse when a group of convicts wreaks havoc on their lives. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan. I don't know if I pronounce this right. So I apologize in advance. Jonathan Malott and Carrie Mernian, who I believe did Cooties together. Oh, OK. And yeah. I, I think I was a bigger fan of that. Then I don't know if Dave, if you've seen it and if you liked it, but I did. I I enjoyed Cooties. Okay. I liked it. And Josh, I can't remember. I feel like you might not have been as big into it. I don't. Know. I had a lot of problems with it. I also had really high expectations okay. going in, yeah. and so 
Yeah, but I, I love the cast. I love the world yes, they created. Yes. I didn't love all the execution. Yeah, I I, re- I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, but I went into mm. Becky, and I honestly didn't even realize that till we were preparing for this. So I, I didn't even know that going into Becky. Uh, it definitely has a different tone. <laughs> I mean, there is a few moments of very dark humor in it, but it's it definitely has a totally different tone than uh, Cooties. Uh, I believe uh, of the writers, Nick Morris, who has the top building for writing, uh, is is I'm guessing maybe his first screenplay or it's one of his first so it stars lulu wilson and i would say lulu wilson is best known as an up-and-coming you know next generation scream queen because she's been in a annabelle creation she played linda Mm -hmm. and ouija origin of evil and the haunting of hill house she played young shirley which if you still haven't seen haunting of hill house folks you've got to see it because it's amazing so good oh it's incredible but the point is she is a face that you will recognize if you like Flanagan's movies and have watched any of those. So um, and she plays Becky and man, is she awesome in this? It is. I saw one little comparison saying it's sort of like home alone, but you know, but like far more violent and brutal. I feel like better watch out was more home alone than this was by a long shot. But, okay. but this, it has that vibe, I guess to a degree, but cause she does some booby traps and some things like that. But Essentially, a these group of convicts they refer to, they're like straight up neo-Nazis. And the biggest surprise is I didn't realize this until I got into it. The the leader of the group, Dominic, is played by Kevin James. And he Oh, that's yeah, that's dude, interesting. Dude, and he is like he has got this beard and he's bald and he's got his huge swastika on the back of his head. And it's like <laughs> and if you see even in the trailer at first, you don't even realize it's him. It doesn't even look like him. So the, the way you've described it has already completely piqued my interest. I, when I heard yeah. of this film, I heard about it as the Kevin James horror movie. Yes. So like, I was like, eh, no, thank you. But the way you've described it, I'm already like, Ooh, this sounds great. Put it this way. It is, it is a home invasion movie with neo-Nazis being bested by a 14 year old girl. And it is awesome. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> I can't get over how much I like this movie. Like I was, I I went into it like, oh, this is interesting. I watch. I've gotten very good at watching the first forty five seconds of trailers, realizing they give everything away. But it's just a, just a taste, just to see the vibe of the movie. I was like, okay, no, I'm in. This looks good. It is brutal. Like it is, and it's funny because there are a lot of times when I watch a movie and a character is put in a position like Becky is, and you always feel like, okay, where they go and the level of brutality they inflict, is it earned? Like, does it make sense? Like, it, they, there's there's those times where a character, you're like, eh, I don't really buy that this character in this circumstance, the first time they kill somebody, that's going to affect them. But there's some things in this movie, especially by the end of it, where I feel like it all kind of makes sense. And I'll tell you what, I feel like... <sighs> I don't want to give anything away. I'm always loath. I got to be, I'm careful with the spoilers. My other shows, I spoil the crap out of everything. I'm not going to spoil this. Um, but what it, where it goes and the things that happen, this totally opens itself up for a sequel. Cause I want to see what happens after this. And, and once you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. I just want to know where it goes, like what, what happens. So, um, but yeah, yeah, but Kevin James again, surprising. And he, has a few Kevin James moments where he gets to infuse humor because obviously he's best known as a comedian, King of Queens and all that. And 
he is able to infuse it. But again, it's done in such a dark, twisted way <laughs> that it's uh, it works. I mean, to me, it worked. And again, she is just a total badass. Like, <laughs> There's no other way to put it, man. She kicks their butts. And it's believable. Like, it's totally somehow they made it work for me. So you have said it's pretty brutal then. So not maybe a 12 year old girl would or would not be able to watch this movie. It depends on what you're willing to let them see. I mean, this is on the level. uh, There's a moment involving a lawnmower in someone's head. Okay. (laughs) And it doesn't hold back. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And things involving all sorts of, you know, accoutrement to people's jugulars and eyeballs and all sorts of stuff. So it's, uh, it's brutal. Uh, Another person that I found very surprising who plays her father is Joel McHale, which if you know him for community and he's, he's yeah. always very funny and, and he, and uh, he's got a great first name. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, but I always think of it that way, but he is, he plays it completely down the line straight. He's not, you know, wink at the camera. Act goo- I mean, he's very subdued. I don't say a throwaway role. Cause it's not throwaway, but it just, it's, it, you always could have had anybody, but because it's him, it's interesting to me because like, huh, I wonder. OK, cool. I mean, you went with Joel McHale. I've heard he's actually a big horror fan in his normal life. Oh, OK, very cool. Well, yeah, I, I like him in general because I love community. So, um, again, I went in almost completely cold. Like, I didn't even know there was a Kevin James horror movie. So when I saw that first 45 seconds and again, I'm watching the screen and they show this kind of big burly looking dude walking through a prison yard and, and it, you know, you see the back of his head and he's got a swastika tattooed on the back. So I'm like, Oh, what's, what's happened? You know? And then he turns, I'm like, is that and I'm like doing that moment? Like, <laughs> like a dog, like head side to side. Like, is that Kevin? Jake? What's happening? And so, and then they kind of cut to some, <laughs> some moments and you're like, Oh, okay. Oh no, I'm in, I'm in. So, uh, yeah. Lulu Wilson, man, she is standout. I, I, I can't even say nice. enough. She's great. Like she is a great, great actor. I'm very up and coming. And I, I love that now it's again, what I guess would you say her fourth substantial horror endeavor uh, in her very young career. So uh, yeah, I, I really cannot recommend Becky enough. I give this a solid 8.5. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely worth renting when it's out on Blu-ray or whatever. I, especially if it's got extras, I would be happy to own this. Uh, yeah. So that's Becky from 2020. Wow. I'm very anxious to see it now. I think you guys will dig it. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I have not. Uh, I obviously I haven't seen it yet. But now it's it's moving to the top of the queue. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just a very straightforward, streamlined, you know, brutal <laughs> home invasion horror movie with some interesting elements that make it kind of rise above. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. All right, so that wraps up our feature review for Becky. And now we'll go into our feature review for Vivarium from 2020. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Yonder, a wonderful development. It has all you'd need and all you'd want. Number nine. Number nine is not a starter home. This house is forever. Play for a boy. Do you have children? No. It's not exactly what we're looking for. That guy was so strange. Yeah. Wait. No, no, I don't think this is the right way. Yeah, this is the way we came in. Number nine again. Did we just do some kind of loop? How if we just... Want me to drive? Such a joke. Because I think this is not possible. We can't make turns like this over and over. We have gone this way, Tom. Oh, my God. Hello? 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 
Okay, Vivarium. Just going to go with the IMDb uh, synopsis here. A young couple looking for the perfect home find themselves trapped in a mysterious labyrinth-like neighborhood of identical houses. This one stars uh, Imogen Poots and uh, Jesse Eisenberg as the young couple who are going house hunting. And um, they're looking to purchase a house. They go into this realtor and they meet what could be the strangest realtor ever depicted on film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who takes them to a neighborhood. Now, you have to imagine this neighborhood, it is nothing but the sim similar houses side by side by side as they're going through all the same color, all the same shape. And they get into the middle of this neighborhood and they find, you know, they find the house they're looking for. And they, you know, they're touring through it. And, and the two of them, Mergen Poots and, and Jesse Eisenberg, they play um, uh, uh, Tom and Gemma. They realize that, that this guy is weird. And Jesse Eisenberg even says at one point, okay, let's just get this over with. Let's go into this house because they know that this neighborhood is not what they're looking for. Nobody in, in their right mind would be looking for this neighborhood where every house is exactly the same. But then they find themselves in a situation where they're trapped. I, I don't want to get too far into it. I don't really want to give away spoilers to this movie. Vivarium, it is so bizarre. <laughs> but in a way that I absolutely love. I mean, I love movies where, you know, and I've said this before, I love movies where you just can't predict what's going to happen. And Vivarium is one of those films. It is so strange and so unique as unique as it is, I don't want to give too much of it away. I will say that they find themselves sort of trapped in this neighborhood. And at one point they're given a baby with a note that says, raise this child and you will be released. <laughs> I do want to say first Imogen Poots gives a tremendous performance. And she's one of those actresses, you know, who I think that she was in green room and she was in Black Christmas from 2019. 28 weeks um, later. Yeah, 20 weeks later. She's she's I think she's a really good actress. And, and Jesse Eisenberg is one of those guys who, you know, in this role, you know, you usually think of him in in um maybe comedic roles. And it's funny because the two of them appeared, Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg appeared in another very unique film from 2019 called uh, The Art of Self-Defense. Which I was Fantastic. a big fan of. Fantastic. Yeah, I really liked The Art of Self-Defense. I thought that was a great movie. And I thought both Jesse Eisenberg and Jim Poots were good in that film. And here they play a couple who, again, they sort of take on this child. But it's a child who sort of, um, it's not a normal child. This is almost as much a sci-fi as it is a horror film. I mean, at one point, the two of them are... They're like, okay, you know, we've got to find our way out of this neighborhood. They, they're trapped in there and they're trying to find a way out. And there's a scene where Jesse Eisenberg goes up on the roof to try to get a, a view of, you know, the situation. And you're looking out at it and you're saying, this is clearly artificial. And, and the child that they're, uh, they're left to raise, it's a baby when they get it. Several weeks later, it's a toddler. There's something different about this kid. Uh, I, I'm, I'm tiptoeing all over the place, and I, but I'm doing it because I don't really want to spoil this film. I will say, though, 
I will say that the the young boy uh, Sinan uh, Jennings is his name, who plays the child. He was he's this actor is seven years old. This is one of the more impressive child performances I've ever seen, given by this this young hmm. this young boy. Now it's not his voice. There there's 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 a little bit of of manipulation to the voice of this child, and I think that was done on purpose. Uh, to give you an idea, you know, to, to sort of clue you in on the fact that this is not a normal child. But the performance that this young boy gives, you know, you think of um, the Babadook. You know how that kid was kind of annoying? I'm not kind of annoying. The kid, you, 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 you know, you want to throw him out a window in some scenes. <laughs> right? <laughs> this kid, almost from the word go, you want to throw him out the damn window. But yet it's such a it's a performance in a way that it's it, you've got these, you know, these two adult characters and he's manipulating the situation in such a convincing way. And I, I was I watched the special features. I have this on Blu-ray and I watched the special features. The fact that this kid is seven years old absolutely floored me. I couldn't believe that a kid of seven years old could have given a performance like this kid gives in this movie. Um <laughs> I, I'm just going to say this. Vivarium is possibly one of the more unique movies you're going to see this year of the 2020 releases. Uh, this is one of the more unique films. And I think it, uh, let me see. I know that this debuted uh, the Cannes Film Festival in uh, May of 2019. It's just getting released now in 2020. March 27th of this year, like right before every, or right around the time everything started to hit the fan is when uh, Bavarium got its release. I love movies that are, that, that, that just take you by surprise. And Bavarium does that time and time again, uh, throughout everything. And Imogen Poos gives a good performance. Jesse Eisenberg, this is not, you know, he plays a character that you would not necessarily associate with Jesse Eisenberg. I mean, when you think about some of his earlier films and some of what he has done previously, it might seem like a bit of a stretch. And I think originally they were looking for a more alpha male. Uh, from what I understand from the special features, they were looking for a more alpha male for this character. But Jesse Eisenberg, you know, uh, the, the, uh, he still manages to deliver the performance, I think, that, that this film required from that character without being that sort of physique and uh you know what they originally envisioned for the character but the real reason to say is Imogen Poots is, is amazing and this young child actor and just how unique this movie is unlike anything I've ever seen before this movie is weird almost from like the five minute mark to the very end all right this is bizarre but it's a good bizarre and it's one that I definitely recommend it's possible that this could be a top 10 movie for me Nice. as it gets towards the end of the year and and it's just because of how just because of where the story goes and you it's it, the way that it sort of maps itself out that you just can't get a grasp on it it's a mystery that you know a lot of times with a mystery film you get okay when you get to the final act you start to put it together this one it's just keeping you in the dark for a long period of time but in such a such a a mesmerizing way that you can't look away you know, you, you just got to see where this movie is going to go. And I don't know that I was fully satisfied by the ending of the film, but I'm anxious to check it out again before we get to the end of the year 
just because of everything that came before that. I I, I definitely recommend Vivarium. I, I think that if you get a chance, check it out. I don't know that it's going to be for everyone. I think there are going to be some people out there saying, what the hell did I just watch? Because I had that reaction and I still enjoyed it. I still was, I still was into the film and I had the reaction like, what the hell is this? But if you're looking for just a very unique sort of movie, definitely check out Vivarium. And again, the performances are exemplary. I recommend this film and I think you should see it. So what's your uh, final rating? Uh, rating? You know what? I'm going <sighs> to... An 8.5 okay. with a possibility of it being higher on a rewatch. But I'm going to say 8.5. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, this has been in my queue for a while. So I need to, I need to check it out. I, and I'm anxious to hear what you think of it, Joel. I really am. So that was a rental also? Absolutely a rental. I mean, I buy everything and, and, and right, its right. sister. But yes, yeah, definitely a rental. If, you know, definitely something that, um, and I'm sure it's available online somewhere. It's Amazon. Amazon, yeah, absolutely worth your time. Check it out. Awesome. So thank you, Dave, very much for that feature review of Vivarium. And now we will go into our final feature review for The Beach House. When you see someone change in front of you, you know, there's no going back. It scares me to death. No one's been here in months. It's beautiful. I love you, you know. I love you too. Does anyone need a refill? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this out here before? It's in the trees. It's all over. Something in the air. I felt a little lightheaded before. I feel good. It's like I was knocked out. I, I can't remember. Mr. Turner! Matt! It is so nice out today. So The Beach House is a 2020 film directed by Jeffrey A. Brown. And Jeffrey A. Brown is a guy who I love stories like this, where you basically have a guy who's been working in the film industry for 20 years, and this is his first directorial film. But this guy has been a locations manager on a bunch of stuff I love, like VOA, uh, the Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die, uh, the uh, Aziz Ansari series for Netflix, Master of None, just a bunch of really fun stuff, Fringe and Spider-Man 3. So he's been in the industry. His first uh, location manager job was Pieces of April back in 2003. And, uh, and then he finally got a chance to direct a film. And I just, I don't know, for some reason that always makes me happy. And I think the film he's directed is a really good one. This was the talk of the town from the Chattanooga Film Festival. Uh, listener Trey Whetstone, this was, I think, his favorite film from the Chattanooga Film Festival. And it was definitely the film that had the most buzz coming out of that festival. And Shudder snapped it up right away. 
and uh, is available on Shutter now, so people can check it out there. From the IMDb synopsis, it says a romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival. Um, let's see. I don't know if I want to read the rest of the IMDb synopsis actually because it, it's a little spoilerish actually. But um, oh, good. There's a piano playing in the background. In case people were missing that back, from my reviews. Back to that old timey music. Rolling. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, this film stars a young couple, Liana Liberato as Emily, and uh, No Lagrosse. Who, if people know the actor James Lagrosse, I, I usually say Lagrosse actually, but he, you'll see Noah and you'll think he looks so familiar. Where do I know him from? It's because he's James's son, and they—he's the spitting image of his dad. Uh, but they play Emily and Randall, and they go to this family cabin owned by Randall's parents uh, for the weekend. And, and in fact, Randall says, we should just live here. Let's just drop out of school and, and live here for like a year. And his girlfriend is not as enthused about the idea of dropping out of school. She's getting ready to go into her master's degree. Meanwhile, he's kind of um, over college. And so they're having some tension in their relationship due to that. Well, out of nowhere two people show up at the house, um, Mitch and Jane and Mitch is played by Jake Weber, who, uh, people will recognize he was in the Dawn of the dead remake. He played Michael. He was awesome in that. He's also been in a bunch of other big Hollywood movies like meet Joe black and U five seven one and a bunch of stuff like that. But, um, Jake Weber, he's, I really, really enjoy him in this film. And if you, you'll remember him from Zack Snyder's Dawn of the dead, you probably like him as well. Uh, Jane is played by Marianne Nagel, who I recognized from somewhere, but I could not put my finger on where. And as I look at her IMDb, I'm not seeing any other films that she's in. But basically, this other couple shows up to the house. They're friends of Randall's parents, and they were planning on staying there for the weekend. And because Randall hadn't cleared his stay with his dad, um, the place was kind of double booked. But they decide they're going to stay there together and kind of keep each other company. And both couples are fine with the other couple being there. And the older couple take uh, an interest in the younger couple. And are, you can kind of get a sense that they're feeling invigorated kind of by spending time with this younger couple and kind of hearing about the place they're at in life and they kind of reminisce about their lives. And but then strange things start happening and I don't want to necessarily get into what those are. Again, I think the IMDB synopsis even maybe spoils more than I would want to, but needless to say, this is a cosmic horror film and like every film I've thought about or talked about in the last several months, it's kind of an infection film as well. I talked about color out of space on the last episode. And to me, this film feels very much related to color out of space. Uh, I think one of our listeners, Sal Roma in his review called this a dollar store version of color out of space, which I take exception with. I think this is actually, this is my preferred of the two in a lot of ways. I mean, this one doesn't have Nicolas Cage. And so, and it doesn't have the wildness of that movie and doesn't have Tommy Chong, who I loved in color out of space. But I think if you liked that one, most people will like this one as well. I, you know, it is a slow burn. It is cosmic horror. There's not like a real clear monster for most of the film. There is eventually some pretty monstrous things that take place. 
IMDb lists this as drama horror mystery, and I think that's fair because, uh, you know, I think for people who are anxious to get to the horrors, this one definitely uh, draws it out and it's a slow burn. But I, for me, I like that kind of thing, and I think the scares play better when you care about the characters. And so it works for me. To me, it's a it's great pacing, although most of the film, there's nothing too scary going on. There is that kind of dread that a lot of cosmic horror films have cast is okay again i really like jake weber um the younger cast isn't quite as good but they're enjoyable uh they they grow on you at least for they did me uh through the running time of the film and it's just a beautiful location it's this gorgeous beach house where the film takes place this beautiful beach just very idyllic and it kind of calls to mind jordan peele's idyllic horror that he likes so much. It just, it feels just like this wonderful beach getaway. And so of course the horror hits twice as hard when it finally hits because it's disturbing just the sanctity and the, and the beauty of this location. So yeah, that's the beach house. I think on a normal year, this one would maybe come in toward the bottom of my top 10 or maybe an honorable mention, I think this year it has a good chance of making my top 10 because there are fewer films. I will also say this is from the producers of Take Shelter and The Signal. I like both of those films better, but I do like... uh, This does feel like um, it's in the same kind of... uh, It's a similar type of tone and vibe of those movies if you enjoyed those. So, yeah, uh, that is The Beach House. It's for me. I give this one a 7.5. I say it's a strong rental recommendation and if you like kind of that cosmic horror and you don't have a problem with a slow burn uh something like color out of space something like annihilation but with less action i think you'll enjoy this movie nice i i i've seen this on i've seen people on both facebook and twitter talking about the beach house and i haven't seen uh, everybody's positive on it. Everybody seems to be, uh, you know, really strong in this movie. So it's it's one that I want to see before the end of the year. Absolutely. Everybody but Sal Roma. Everybody but Sal Roma. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see Sal's. To be fair, I didn't see Sal's, but um, I saw everybody else's. They seem to be really big on it. This is definitely one of the more buzzed about films of the year, and I think uh, it's worthy of that buzz it does have like a very indie feel not like a no budget horror feel but definitely like the sundance you know kind of level of indie where they maybe had like a million or two dollars to make the film and, and they pull it off well it's like very sweetheart nice shot remember sweetheart from mm-hmm. last year yeah like similar to sweetheart i would say this one's a, even a little more clunky than sweetheart in terms of and, and honestly like all the films i'm going to talk about on this episode are all indie films and they're kind of uh, different levels of pulling it off. And some of that just has to do with how clear the narrative is, you know, sometimes with the independent films, they don't always have the connective tissue to make all of the scenes work or link together as well. And this one, I would say feels just a little bit more clunky than, than something like sweetheart, but I still think it's good. It's, it's very enjoyable. Well, you you saying Jake Weber is in it, you know, because when I think of Dawn of the Dead from 2004, I mean, that had a strong cast. I mean, you had Sarah Polly and Ving Rhames mm-hmm. and McCoy, you know, all those guys, everyone who gave a good performance. But Jake Weber's character is the one I always think of when I think of that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought he was extraordinary in that. So the fact that he's in this has, has even piqued my interest a little bit more. And he's he gives a really cool performance in this, too. Like, it's he's not just there. He's 
one of four characters and he's bringing a lot to it. So awesome. And now was this on shutter? Was this the one that was, it is. Yes. Okay. So stream it on shutter. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for that Wolfman. And I guess that'll wrap up our feature reviews, but don't go away just yet. We have several mini reviews that we're going to bring you. So first up is, and I'm assuming you say it this way is one BR. I assume that means one bedroom, but we'll go with one. Yeah. BR. One BR. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. This one is again, a 2020 film directed by David Marmer and it is from the IMDb synopsis. Uh, Sarah tries to start anew in LA, but her neighbors are not what they seem. And that's the most simple way of putting it. That's sure. a, that's about the most basic uh, synopsis of this movie as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially what's happened is this young girl named Sarah. She's seems like college age or older. She's played by Nicole Bryden Bloom. She moves to LA and with the hopes of being a costume designer for the movies. And that's kind of her goal right away. You find that she has a really bad relationship with her parents, particularly her father and he wants her to come home and doesn't think she can make it. And she says, screw you, dad. I'm going to make it on my own in LA. And she finds this apartment for rent. Now it's a very nice apartment for LA for her not having a job. I'll say that. (laughs) Like, I don't know too many people who can afford to walk into an apartment like this and get it uh, without employment. She's a, I guess she has a temp job, right? uh, She's a temp. She's a temp at the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, For a while anyway. But, um, she moves into this new apartment and everyone seems lovely and it's a very communal atmosphere and their kids running around and people barbecuing and everyone knows each other and they all hang out together. And it just seems idyllic in that way. And very quickly things start to seem strange. And then they, it escalates actually pretty quickly and it's a lot stranger than you'd think pretty immediately. And I don't know how much we should spoil Dave, but because there's not a ton to it. And I assume right. that's why plot wise, I should say. Yeah. And, and I, I would assume that's why the AMDB synopsis doesn't go too much further either, but I do like where it goes. I thought it was enjoyable. The cast grew on me over time. I wasn't sure about the lead at first, but I liked her by the end. And I really liked a lot of the supporting cast. Um, Taylor Nichols, who you'd recognize from a million things, um, Jurassic Park three and, you know, uh, boiler room. And just, he's a, he's a character actor. You'll recognize. I, I, I really enjoyed him. Giles Matthew, I thought was really good. Who played Brian. There's also, uh, Clayton Hoff who played Lester. I thought was really good. And Naomi Grossman, who if people watch American horror story, you'll recognize her. She was especially good. Um, and kind of her portrayal as one of the characters from freaks on American horror story. I thought she did a great job with that, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was fun, enjoyable. It was a little light and you kind of knew where it was going from the outset, but it was nicely shot and it had an ending without giving too much away. That really reminded me of the invitation, which I appreciated. So there was a bit about this movie that reminded me of the invitation even before mm-hmm. that, but you're right. Definitely the last, the, the, the last shot of the film, no doubt it reminds you of the invitation, but just the, the idea of this, you know, it's, 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 and again, I don't know. I don't know how deep we want to get into it. As far as uh, I don't want to get too far into spoilers either, but there is sort of that cult atmosphere 
you know, to, to this film, I think. And yeah. this would have fit and, very nicely into our cold episode for sure. I was thinking the same thing. I think this is one that, you know, had it been released a little bit earlier, this would have been a, a great addition to that, uh, to those two episodes that we did on, on cult films. And I'll agree with you with, uh, with the lead actress. I mean, I wasn't sure, so sure about her at first either, but you do sort of grow uh, with her almost along the, you know, with what she's going through in, in, in this film and, and, yeah. and what she's, she's left to deal with the IMDb to uh, be synopsis is basic, but it's just enough, you know, it's just enough, I think, to describe the movie without giving anything away. And I don't want to go, I don't want to go over that line. It's not a like plot heavy film. No, it's not. It's a pretty basic premise, but they make a lot of it with kind of the things they do. They do. They really do. I mean, it, they they take the, this 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 very basic premise and they they sort of branch it out into different areas that uh, I think are to the movie's advantage. Um, but I definitely got the invitation vibe through quite a bit of it. But it, I thought it was interesting also where you know it, it's got that cult aspect, but it's not like. When you're looking at other cult films, like some of the ones that we had discussed in in uh, during those two episodes that we did, uh, you know, focusing on that, where you could say, well, this is clearly just sort of manipulative. You almost got the idea with, you know, they did a, a decent job. The filmmakers did a decent job in this one of of making this group of people likable to the point that you almost are sort of rooting for them in a way. You know, I don't know about you, Josh, but I was sort of thinking that hmm, I kind of liked where they were going with this. And, and you're, you you didn't look at them as you do it, the, the normal cult site, you know, type of film is, 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 is the way I the way I sort of was reacting to the movie anyway. Yeah, I don't know that I go so far as I was rooting for them, but there are certain characters like Lester. Who you're like, oh, OK, like this is a guy who's been through some stuff. Right. And this might be helping him, you know, and but certainly by the end, it was a full horror effect. For but me. also the the older woman, the older woman, the yeah. actress, you know, yeah. from from, you know, the, and the way that she has sort of sort of embraced this and, and, and her story arc. I yeah. think also went sort of, um, you know, in the, the same with Lester is, is to making this seem like. It's cult, but maybe it's maybe it's 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 not like the cult that we're used to. Yeah, like is there a benefit to this, and you know, they're in these people's lives, and I and right. obviously any organization like this, they do target people who are broken in some way or have some need that they're trying to fill. So mm-hmm. I think that's common in a cult film. I mean, I you know, even with like the recruiting of. Um, like skinheads, you know, they, they're usually looking for young disaffected men who are, you know, not fitting in for some reason, or they're having problems with school or with their parents. And like, that's, I think that's a common thing that recruiters look for when they're, you know, trying to recruit Mm -hmm. for things like this. So I don't think Mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it's surprising that some of the people who find themselves in a cult do benefit from it. They're usually give it's giving them some kind of structure and purpose and clarity about things that were going wrong in their lives. I don't still don't think I'd go all the way to, I was rooting for them, but hmm. definitely empathized with a lot of the I characters. Think maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe not rooting, maybe more empathizing, maybe, maybe more thinking like, Hey, this isn't the type of cult movie that I'm used to seeing. Yes. You yeah, know? Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. 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 
anyway, I, I enjoyed this one. I'd give it a 7.5 and I call it a rental recommendation. It's, it's better than average film. And I think I'm, I'm curious to see what the director does next. And I liked a lot of the cast and you, there are definitely uh, worse ways you could spend your time in this uh, current climate that we're in where you can't really go to the movies. And this is, this is one worth checking out. I don't know that it'll make my top 10 list, but it's worth a watch. And I'm I'm right there with you. I'm seven point five, and I I, I no I don't know that this is a top ten film either, uh, but definitely one that I would recommend that uh, that people see. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one one br and the other movies that I've reviewed for this episode have me sort of hopeful for my top ten list for 2020, because I'll tell you what I I, I the more I think about it, when you look at the horror genre and the way that it's developed over the last few years. When I look at my top 10 lists, it's multiple platforms. You know, it's it's not uh, theatrical releases solely or, you know, there's online content. There's the indie movies that that make their way onto, um, you know, like like Shudder and, and Netflix. I think your number one film for the last two years have both been Shudder films, right? They have been. Absolutely. They have my, the last two years. And that's just coincidental. You, you look at movie, okay, from 2018, Terrified, and, and The Night Shifter for me from 2019, which you mentioned, Josh, my number ones of the last two years. Horror is almost immune, I think, to this whole COVID-19 more than any other genre because of the fact that it exists on all of these different platforms. And there's great content on them. You know, it's not like, oh, these aren't good enough to get into the theaters. No, that's not the case. The Oscars, you know, all of these other award shows, they kind of need the theatrical experience. I don't think horror is that way. And some of the best horror, the independent horror, is the ones that the studios aren't taking a chance on and are ending up online and on different platforms. I really, really think that maybe... And I even said at the beginning of this episode that I was kind of afraid. Maybe it's not going to be an issue for a top 10 for horror in 2020 because of the way horror has been for the last few years and where it has where we've been experiencing these movies. It's just been a variety of of platforms. I'm really hopeful that maybe 2020 won't be the letdown year that I was afraid it was going to be. I agree with everything you said. I will just add there were a few theatrical films that I'm pretty sure would have made my top ten. Looking oh, yeah. at yeah, yeah, kills absolutely, Candyman, Candyman, and and Antebellum. Antebellum. That's one yep. that I was really anxious to see. I loved the trailer for that movie. I really wanted to see Antebellum and Antlers. I was interested Antlers, to see yeah, as I was about well. To say Antlers, yep. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's it's funny because I think if we look at our lists of previous years, there's a nice balance between theatrical and online. Yeah. And how are those going to stack up against our previous lists? I really am anxious to see that. Well, fingers crossed, hoping for good things. We'll yeah. see. Yes. Well, indeed. But before we get there, let's find out if Blood Quantum will make any of our lists. Yeah, you know, Blood Quantum is probably going to make my list oh, actually. Excellent. And um, I was a little unsure upon my first viewing because as I just have talked about, it has some of those narrative weaknesses that a lot of independent films have where the action doesn't always play as strongly as it could. And the, and the narrative isn't always as clear as it could be, you know, the geography of uh, where things are taking place in an action scene or who exactly is in a scene. And, that stuff isn't as strong as it could be. 
but I could not stop thinking about this film after I saw it. Two weeks later, I had to rewatch it again because I, I had just been thinking about it all the time. And, um, you know, I've looked at some of our listeners' reviews on Letterboxd. Some people definitely agreed with me. Others definitely did not. So, it's, I, you know, this is not going to be a home run that everybody is going to love. But I do think it's at least good enough that everybody should watch it and uh, and get their own take on it. I think it's significant enough that it's worth everybody's time, at least as a viewing. You know, as I look over our listeners who I'm connected with on Letterboxd to have seen it, I'm seeing Wilhelm Scream liked it on the level I did, uh, Gareth Young, Red Cap Jack, and then there are a couple people who liked it a lot less than me, like Dino, and everybody else is kind of in between that. So, um, you know, it's it's at least getting like in the six to seven range for most of our listeners. So I, it's for me, this is in the eight to nine range Wow. Uh, based on just how much it stuck with me, how unique the world is and how much I wanted to revisit it. The basic IMDB premise is this, the dead are coming back to life outside the isolated Micmac reserve of red crow, except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague. So, yeah, this is the Micmac Red Crow Reservation and Tribe, and they are immune to the zombie plague. Did I just exactly restate exactly what I said in the thing? That's okay. <laughs> so, this is a Native American take on a zombie movie. And, I, you know, as I looked over some of our listeners' reviews, it's interesting to see that a lot of our listeners are just so over zombies that's like an immediate negative and this movie had to win them back, which I am not there. You know, I, I, I definitely, there was a little bit of a zombie burnout a few years ago for me, but I'm past that now. And, you know, to me, it's just like, if it's a good zombie movie, it's a good zombie movie. I think we're past the glut of just everything being about zombies. And, and now I think we're to that point that happens in horror where now the people who are left making these films, they really have something to say using the genre and they, I really love the genre. And that's really clear to me from blood quantum um, as the title suggests. And actually I'm just going to read some of our listeners reviews. I know that's a bit of a cheat, but I made the mistake of reading them beforehand. And now that's kind of all I can think about. So uh, that's why I don't listen to other people's reviews before I review them. Cause I don't want them stuck in my head, but a lot of them have some really great things to say. So I'm going to read, uh, this is Mark Cunningham, AKA, Red Cap Jack, he says, gory and brutal. The title of the film is taken from a colonial term for the measurement to determine one's indigenous status. In this film, the term twists into a zombie film where the members of a distant tribe are rendered immune to the disease, but are quickly overwhelmed by the survivors and undead both. The reservation sheriff tries to maintain control while his two sons are divided by their approach to the crisis. So there is this interesting element where the native people of this tribe cannot get the zombie plague, but a couple of the characters are of mixed descent. One of them has a white mom. Another uh, has impregnated his white girlfriend. And so you're not sure, <laughs> do they have enough native blood to protect them from the zombie plague? So I think that's a fun element. Meanwhile, you have people from the town across the bridge who are coming over to the reserve and saying, hey, can we take shelter with you from the zombie plague. We know that 
you're not infected and the natives are like well we don't know you're not infected and that leads to some really fun twists on the zombie genre it adds what i love about localized horror stories whether they're foreign films or just very specific to a region in this case very specific to this world of uh reservation i love that it's dealing with all of these social and political issues tied up in the way that these townspeople have interacted with each other over the years and the way that this tribe was treated historically and now all of that tension is playing out in the world of a zombie apocalypse and it's just awesome to me now a couple of our listeners thought some of it was a little heavy-handed the way it dealt with those issues the metastologist who was our guest on the last episode mentions that uh, he says a lot of the action revolves around the conflict between lysol an angry young son of the sheriff and his younger half-brother joseph a good kid dealing with the surprise pregnancy of his white girlfriend Lysol is a cauldron of resentment, which is soon focused toward the towny refugees the Native Americans have been helping, which inevitably boils over. The twist allows Blood Quantum to explore the old humans are the real threat in a way couched in a less simple paranoia and power madness, but rather racial strife, the white townies being the source of plague and danger to the Native communities. Sometimes this is hammered home in a way that is none too subtle, see the blanket scene, but other times it's handled a bit better. And to me, of course, like... I don't think you need to be subtle in cases like this because I don't think these are issues that a lot of people deal with on a regular basis. And so for me, I love that stuff. Other people who are not as into politics, though, also said this. So this is from Armored Foe. He said, don't let the racial issues turn you away. It's gory and violent, and I actually enjoyed it. (laughs) So um, (laughs) this is not only working on that kind of social political level. It is, and honestly, one of the things that turned me off is the violence in this is mean. Like there are some mean gore scenes in this film that are extremely disturbing, um, you know, taken at face value. Obviously, they're not real. It's just makeup effects, as I tell my kids. But, you know, in the context of the film, you're like, whoa, okay, that went there. And it goes there. A couple of scenes in particular that go all the way there. And you're just like, holy crap, that was intense. But, um, yeah, just generally, it's got a really nice tone and pacing and some people were comparing it to the walking dead in a not so positive way. To me, that still is a good comparison. Like that's a really high quality zombie show. And so, you know, it's, you can, you can have your problems with it, but in terms of the world of zombies, I think the walking dead still has done it better than most. And so, um, uh, to me, that's a that's a positive comparison, and I I really enjoy Blood Quantum. I'm super stoked to see an indigenous horror filmmaker, which just doesn't exist very much. And I look forward to the types of films we might get from this filmmaker in the future. Um, his name, of course, Jeff Barnaby, and he grew up on a reservation in this area and was inspired by real life events that he saw take place in that area and. Um, just exciting, just super, super exciting to me. And the cast is awesome. Also, I should mention Michael Gray Eyes plays the sheriff. He's fantastic. His two sons are played by Forrest Goodluck and Kiwa Gordon. I really love them as actors and the supporting cast. Brandon Oaks is in this. He was fantastic always. And I loved him in this. And so, yeah, just a, just a really strong film. It premiered at 
Toronto's Midnight program. And it, it's great. And yeah, again, yeah, it's got some shortcomings. And if you don't like really gory films or you don't like uh, things with a political tinge, those will also be setbacks for you. If you don't like zombie movies, that will be a setback for you. But if you are like me and you don't have a problem with any of those things, you're going to love this movie and it will probably stick with you in the same way that it stuck with me. I will not be surprised if this makes it on my top 10 list of the year. I am at this point going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 and it is streaming on shutter, but I would buy it in a second if it were available. And uh, yeah, that's blood quantum. Well, and, and I'm glad you did this one, Josh, because honestly this of all the ones on this list that we're covering here, this was actually in my top tier that I wanted to see. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it's good. I mean, I think we, not that we have to go down this trail again. I am a person who prefers story then message. I don't, I, I don't like things whether, even if I a hundred percent agree down the line with the, with the, the meaning and the message or something, I find that I just do not like if like, if I want to be preached to, there's a place I can go to that for on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So that, but that being said, if it's got a strong story, you know, great characters and it's, it's a kick butt horror flick, I'm down. And, and from what I saw, it looked awesome. Well, and from what, my point of view within some communities, the story is the message and I don't think you can separate them in the case like this, you know? So I like, to me, that's what I love about it. That's why I think it's so effective. I think that's why film like get out works. Like it, the story is also the yeah, message. And, see, I, and, and that, in that I, I could see that point there in that there is a primo example of what I'm talking about, but I still feel like you're like, you said the story is the message, but it's such a great story and the way it's told. I, yeah. I, and I, and I don't, and I even feel like with get out, I never, I, maybe it's just all about execution. I really guess is what it always comes down to, right? That right. there's a way to do it to where you don't feel like it's treating you like you're an idiot and that you, you know, you oh, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness the filmmaker is here to, to like make me understand. No, Get Out is a great story. It obviously has a really strong, you know, racial, political dynamic to it. But it, like you said, the message is the story in that case, but it's done so effectively that that's yeah. why it works. So I'm hoping for, you know, and, at least and also the cinema is my church maybe. So I, maybe okay. that's where I am going for preaching. In this okay. Time. Okay. Well, there, there you go. Uh, but anyway, regardless, I'm looking forward to blood quantum. So thank you for bringing that. Yeah. To the and and I, I mean, I don't, I think Joel, you are the prime example of someone who too high of expectations can make this one land flat for you. Okay. Because you, you suffer from that in the same yes, way that I, I do. I do. Where you get right. yourself that's amped fair. up and then you're yep. disappointed. Very fair. Very um, fair so statement. I would be, I would not expect too much going into this. Okay. So basically it sucks and now yeah. I'll be happy. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I had a listener, red cap Jack, whose review I read from a little bit say, have you seen blood quantum yet? I bet this is going to be on your top 10. And I, knew the film was out there, but I had not yet gotten around to it. And I watched it and I thought, eh, this is not as good as I was hoping it was going to be, you know? And then two weeks went by and I was still thinking about it every day. Okay. And I watched it again. And that time I was like, I love this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you okay. Know? No, I've had that experience too. That's cool. Okay. Okay. I'll go in with, I will go in with tempered expectations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, it suffers from what a lot of, indie films do you know if you imagine seeing a film on the midnight program at a film festival like this one premiered this suffers from all those same problems that all those films are going to but it it is a good movie and it is so i you know again like the message being 
the story to me that's what makes this different like that like the setting these characters are something you've never seen before in a zombie movie and yeah, to me that's, that's cool. what makes it exciting. yeah that is cool so. it, yeah it's, it's a different take and i one of the few people that i i know directly that is still kept up with every episode of walking dead you know like in my, my yeah. immediate circle most of my my friends and people that i know have just dropped off they're like yeah i'm done I, i've been done for three seasons or whatever but my, you know my wife and i we've been there every time every week we're still there so i'm not i'm definitely not burned out but it's weird it's like as much as i'm still willing to follow that show apparently for the next 20 years um i i guess every time i hear about a new zombie movie i'm i am always a bit head more more and more hesitant because i feel like at some point it's like okay yeah okay i get it but then again to your point it feels like the glut has died down quite a bit so when we when yeah. that's why when i heard about blood quantum and i saw again watched like 30 seconds of the trailer i was like okay no this is cool this is different i'm i'm down for this definitely it's a good one all right, so let, let's see if our next mini-review is another potential top 10 contender for someone, and that is going to be After Midnight. Okay, After Midnight. Uh, yes, another 2020 film, apparently released in February. Uh, reading from the IMDb uh, synopsis, uh, when his girlfriend suddenly disappears, leaving a cryptic note as her only explanation, Hank's comfortable life and his sanity begin to crack. Then, from the woods surrounding his house, something terrible starts trying to break in. Now, this was uh, written and co-directed by Jeremy Gardner, who also did The Battery, which yes. I know, uh, Josh, you're a fan of. Huge fan of, of that film. But also, it co-stars as the sheriff and friend of Hank, um, a character named Shane, Justin Benson, who was a co-director and star of The Endless from a couple years ago. I know that made my top 10 of the year. I'm not sure. I I think it might have made yours also, Josh. I can't remember. I don't remember either, but it was was definitely in contention. Yeah, it was a good movie. And Jeremy Gardner has a bit part in Justin Benson's other film, Spring, just FYI. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. Um, Now, IMDb lists After Midnight as drama, horror, sci-fi. That's a good classification that works for this film. But if I were to assign genres to it, it would be horror romance. Okay. And this is a Valentine's Day film, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was. I think it was released right around that time period. And I think, you know, when you when you think horror romance, you know, movies like Twilight um, or another one of Josh's favorite warm bodies. Uh, you know, Ugh. something along. Yeah, I, I, and I haven't seen warm bodies, but I know that you weren't a fan of it. Um, I loathe it. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it comes it, it sort of springs to mind with that. But it, with after midnight, basically what happens is Hank, he's got this house out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, when they say in the middle of the woods, that's what it is. And this is a dilapidated house. It's been in his family for years, and he's not fixing it up. Um, and he and uh, you know his his girlfriend Abby, played by uh, Bria Grant, lived there for a time, and then and then uh, Abby sort of got you know she she left for a while. Right around the time she leaves, every night just after midnight, Hank is dealing with an attack from something that is just pounding at his front door and trying to get in and he's got two friends in the film wade played by henry zabrowski and um justin benson are telling him well it's a bear uh maybe it's a panther um you know and hank is like you know it's not a bear and he, you know i think it was his friend um wade who says maybe it's a panther 
And, you know, Hank's like, have you ever seen a panther? I think the movie's set in Florida. Actually, yes. We have Florida, okay. we have Florida panthers. That's a legit Okay, thing. there are Florida They're panthers. They're rare. Okay. They're rare, but they exist. <laughs> right, right. Um, anyway, Hank knows it's neither of these, that there's something more. It's something a, a lot stronger. He actually saw, like, what looked to be almost like a human humanoid hand come through. There's a hole in the door, because... At the towards the beginning of the movie, Hank shoots. Uh, you know, he's firing a shotgun through his front door at this whatever it is that's attacking him. Later in the film, you see a humanoid type hand come through that. Um, so it's clearly not an indigenous creature that's attacking his house. And they're leading it sort of up to uh, okay, it coincides with Abby's disappearance. Um, you know, uh, okay, the, the, you know, when you read that in the synopsis, you go in with a certain preconception that may or may not, you know, pan out. I don't want to get go uh, into spoilers for this one either because I'm recommending it. But it, it's funny, the creature aspects of this film, and there are a couple of them, all right? It's not as strong as, I say, the romantic aspects of this, of Hank longing for Abby you know, after she leaves and there's flashback scenes of towards the beginning of their relationship that I think work really well that make this movie on a romantic level work just as well as it does on a horror level. And I liked that. I liked that aspect of the movie that, that the relationship between these two characters and it's strong. And, you know, when you're looking at them, you're kind of saying, oh, you know what? You don't necessarily think of, of these two. If you were to see them in public, like, oh, it's kind of a strange coupling there, you know, the, these two characters, but it works very well in the film. I mean, you buy them as a couple in this movie. And I think the romantic aspects of this are as strong as the horror aspects maybe even a little bit stronger. And I know that might be a turnoff for some genre fans, but it's not something I think that detracts from the film or detracts from the horror elements of the film, especially as it gets towards the end of the story. And if I were to say, you know, I, the creature itself is impressive. I, I'll say that you don't see it often, but when you do, it looks good all right the, the creature effects are good for for what i'm assuming this is a low budget film and the creature effects are strong all right um for what this is you know this creature that that's attacking his house but it's the scenes of 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 hank and and abby just talking to each other and and abby you know explaining you know what what she's looking for in the relationship and not sure that hank can give it to her and the early scenes of them together there's a strength to them that i think that i think makes the horror even stronger you know it, not something you would think of with with a with a with a romance style film but in this case i think it does and I'm recommending it. I'd, I'd, I'll give it an eight and and say that it's worth renting. Um, if you could find this, you know, I'm sure it's available online. Definitely find this movie and watch it. You know, go in knowing that it is, in my opinion, a horror romance more than, than any other genre. Okay. And it might even be romance horror. Let's put romance first. But I don't think it detracts from the horror elements of it at all. And if anything, it strengthens them. I'm really looking forward to this. I love Jeremy Gardner and everything he's done, even his like dumb comedies and stuff. <laughs> I just love, there's something about that guy. I just love him. And so I'm excited to see this. I, I was going to watch this on Valentine's Day. I remember it came out 
around that time and um and then i just missed it and then it got off my radar but yeah i'm, I'm excited to revisit this one or to visit this one i'm anxious to hear what you say what you think of it absolutely all right thank you dave very much so now we will go into our mini review of the hunt from 2020 all right so the hunt imdaba synopsis is 12 strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a specific reason. The Hunt. And it was directed by Craig Zobel, who did Compliance, if you remember that one. That that uh, comedy uh, yeah. laugh fest. <laughs> just no, it kidding. was good. It was good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not a funny movie at all. Um, and it was it's on a true story, yeah. kind of. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully this isn't. Um, and it was written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Of course, Lost fans out there, my fellow Lost fans, last yes. last season, not counting. Yep. Um, right. Damon Lindelof is a name you obviously know. But here's the super cool. Nick Cuse is Carlton Cuse's son. Oh, no way. That's funny. Yeah. Awesome. So there's a nice little uh, connection there. Yeah. So. And uh, yeah, so it stars a lot of great, great actors. You got Betty Gilpin, who I don't know all you, uh, all you fellow Glow fans out there, but I think yes. she's amazing. I, she's probably she so awesome. Oh, she's so great, dude. Yeah. And if if I'm not, I realize that the Academy Awards this year are wash. So might be. I don't want to predict anything, but the Horror Cinema Awards, we'll see. Uh, but I are right now. I nominate her for this movie. I I thought yeah. she was phenomenal. Um, you yeah. also had Hillary Swank. Ike Barinholtz, uh, you had Ethan Suppley, Emma Roberts, uh, you've got Amy Madigan. I mean, it's got a great, great cast um, up one side and down the other. And, you know, this is the movie that I think everybody should remember. I believe was supposed to come out. Was it last year at some point? Mm-hmm. And, and I know we had some mass shootings. Yeah, it, yeah, there, yeah, that's right. And so they, they scrapped got delayed it because of shootings. Yes. And-, and which is interesting because. I get in in the, in the overall sense what they might have been thinking, but it really, you know, it's it's basically a satirical telling of the most dangerous game and and really has I mean, it's violent, but we get plenty of other violent movies. So I'm not sure what the thought process was other than it obviously has this very strong satirical angle to it. And, it you know, it's a movie that if you have a sense of humor about yourself and your own views, and you also like to laugh at the other side as well, I think you will <laughs> deeply enjoy this movie because it yep. goes after everyone. And and it yep. does it in a really interesting way because it doesn't, it's hard to explain, at least the way I took it, is it sets things up in such a way that, you know, you've associated, if you've seen the trailer, I'm sure you're aware that the idea is that there's this mythology this conspiracy that these sort of liberal elites you know these very affluent uh white liberals are hunting the uh deplorables i'm using air quotes that no one could see right now because i'm you know doing it over audio podcast and and so that's the basic setup so you've got this dynamic that i think is very much part and parcel of the world that we've lived in for quite a while now. Um, but it deals with a lot of like online culture and how people react to comments and things that are said and it deals with how um, people do those things anonymously and don't think of any repercussions at all ever and it it sort of like go, goes after all of it but there's a couple of very interesting twists to that especially related to uh, Gilpin's character 
that I absolutely loved because it kind of drives home a bigger point <laughs> about all of it. Dave, you did see this, right? I did. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to definitely get your take on it. But for me, if for no other reason, just Gilpin and, and her performance uh, and then the, the level of violence, it's a lot of it's played for laughs in a sense because it's a dark comedy. It's a satire, but it is a couple of times. It's brutal. I really enjoyed it, though. I, I, I liked the satire in it. I, I again, loved Gilpin's performance. Um, and so, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Dave, what did you think? I enjoyed it too. All right, I'll th- throw that out there right at the front. I enjoyed it too. But if I were to, to dec- you know, to sort of describe the hunt, I would say it is Turkey Shoot, uh, aka Escape Two Thousand, through the modern day CNN slash Fox News eyes. You know, it's not so much societal hunting as it is political you know that this movie is something that i think and like you were saying it's not really taking sides <laughs> which i thought was interesting you know this this is a a movie that 10 years from now people might not understand as well as they would if they saw it today yes i think especially considering some of the dynamics of play with social media and such because of course we we have these things that we deal with now we're like oh these will be around forever and uh, you know yeah. tell that to myspace so i'm just saying yeah exactly and just the i mean there are politics at play yes, here yes. i mean when you look at who was chosen to be hunted and who are the people choosing to do the you know who they're choosing who they're going to sure. hunt and even the and even the reasoning for like like because it gets in without giving anything away because i think it's an interesting way that they set up that dynamics for people that presumably would i guess if you're going to because we say like oh they aren't taking side but there's definitely this sense of somebody being a villain over other people but yes. I would say once you get, it's a very interesting reveal as to why mm-hmm. they go where they go. But even that, I feel like is very of this time, potentially. Uh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, I, I agree. And then, you know, what? it's funny because Hillary Swank plays, um, you know, a strong role in the, in this movie. Yes, she's great. And this is, this is somebody who's won two Academy Awards. All right. She was, she was best actress. Um in both Boys Don't Cry and Million Dollar Baby. This might be my favorite Hillary Swank performance. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, there's something about her performance in this movie that I really like because it's sort of approaching over the top without going there. That's you know, a good without point. Without actually yeah, that's going a good way over it. the top. Yeah, that's Honestly, a good point. that's the first thing you guys have said that's convinced me because I, for some reason, as much as I, you know, I've now pigeonholing myself as the person who loves politics and horror for some reason like the premise of this just does not of this kind of political horror does not appeal to me in any way like talking about like online social media and all that stuff mm-hmm. I was like oh who cares but i'm a huge betty gilpin fan and i'm a huge hillary swank fan so for you to say that this is your favorite hillary swank performance and for joel to talk so highly about uh betty gilpin like yeah. those are the things that make me excited look it is political, but it's it's oddly. How do I put this? It never feels like mean spirited. Does, does right. that make sense? Would you agree with that, Dave? Like it doesn't. No, it, it's it's almost as if it's it's looking through a lens, and and I mean you, both sides are on you know sort of surrounding it, but the lens is staying just in the middle. Yeah. I guess I feel like horror comedy. I can enjoy. 
you know, I'm not like how Jay just hate despised all horror comedy. Like I, I like some horror comedy, but I feel like satire is so hard to pull off. Like to really satirize something well is so much harder than just like adding some jokes to your horror yeah. movie. You know? I mean, for me, the all time, I think the all time great sort of satirist, as far as when it came to genre movies, was Mel Brooks with all of the films that he did, satirizing the westerns and the and the, and the, and the you know the the the, the uh, horror films with Young Frankenstein and so forth. This is a satire, but it's 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 this is a satire of almost like the age of of like the the, the current situation of things, and. I loved it for that. I absolutely loved it for that. Now, this is something that I'm like, I'm saying 10 years from now, this is something that people might look back and say, Hey, what's going on here? They might not get it like a current audience would. It may be a dated movie. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. Ultimately it may be, but in the here and now, I thought it was brilliant. I really did. Yeah. Well, for me, I give it a nine. I say absolutely rent it. Yeah, I say rent it. I say buy it. I say do whatever you want to do to it. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Wow, that's very explicit. Yeah. And you know what? I, I I am not far behind you, Joel. As a matter of fact, I'm right next to you. I'm going to give it a nine. And yeah. I'm going to say definitely rent this movie and, and check it out. Uh, I think that... Again, if you're looking at it through that through that lens of, of the here and now, I, I think that you're really going to enjoy it. doesn't matter what end of the political spectrum you fall on. I think this is a movie that is going to work for you regardless. All right. So then let's go ahead and move on to a movie that uh, if you search for it in Google, you may have some explaining to do. Porno. <laughs> yeah. Porno. I loved porno. Just um, no, uh, from the, as Joel would say, Imdaba synopsis, when five teen employees at the local movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious old film hidden in its basement, they unleash an alluring succubus that gives them a sex education written in blood. So, yeah, again, directed by Kayla Rosella, uh, written by Matt Black and Lawrence Vanicelli. And this is just as it said it's a bunch of teenagers working in this movie theater in the 90s the week that a league of their own and encino man are the two movies in theaters <laughs> which is kind of plays small roles in the film uh, and the other thing i really love about that is they had to create their own poster and standee artwork for those films to not infringe on copyright, I guess. And I really love what they did with their uh, Encino Man and League of Their Own clips and posters. But um, that's, I guess, beside the point. And basically, it's like a highly, a group of highly Christian kids who are very sheltered to the point where they stumble upon this demonic, satanic film that calls forth the devil and their response to it is they think it's pornography, which is where the title of the film comes from. Oh, I guess. And they find that their theater that they work in is built on top of kind of this old porn theater where they find this reel of a satanic film. It's a really fun cast. I particularly really like Evan Davis and Robbie Tan. Uh, those two guys are so good. And as the film gets going, you realize, well, the kids are sheltered, but they're not quite as innocent as they seem. So one of the kids is a peeping Tom. The other guy is closeted and doesn't want to reveal that, that to the rest of his Christian friends. The boss who they work for, who seems to be the model Christian, might have some 
other things going on in his private life that uh, the kids aren't aware of. And there's this character Robbie Tan plays who I just love. He's the straight edge, like metalhead. And he's so funny. They call him heavy metal Jeff. And he's like, it's not heavy metal. It's hardcore. And he's, and he's got the straight edge X's on his hands. And the whole movie as the succubus is uh, confronting these kids and kind of um, as the, as that synopsis said, gives them a sex education written in blood. He is so intent on holding on to his straight edge. Uh, it just adds a lot of humor to it for me. He was my favorite character to be, to be frank. I would have liked to see several films built around <laughs> straight edge character. Uh, it just really spoke to me, but um, yeah, it was a fun movie. It's not perfect. You know, as I've said about these indie films, a lot of them, have trouble when it gets to the big action sequences and some of the narrative elements kind of fall apart toward the end of this film. It just got really sloppy all of a sudden, like the last few scenes didn't quite work, but I, I loved the setting uh, production design. The, the cast for the most part was good. I, I liked everything they were doing, but it didn't all hit. And I have to assume most of that was for budgetary reasons. Cause you know, it, it's clearly a low budget film, but I, but I, quite enjoyed it and you know the again it's dealing with satire and comedy the satire isn't always totally working here you know it's it's hard to pull that off for me and the and the comedy is a little bit goofy at times but mostly i enjoyed this film i would give this a seven out of ten and i would call it a rental if you like horror comedy and you're not easily offended (laughs) with a title like that that's shocking yeah, <laughs> you know there is a fair bit of nudity and gore in the movie as well, and but it, I would say it's more a comedy than any other element. All right, then what about Zombie for Sale? Okay, Zombie for Sale, uh, twenty nineteen film, uh, just recently released in uh, North America. Uh, you know, in twenty twenty, uh, comedy horror. But what had me sort of excited about this movie is it's a Korean film. And so many great movies have been coming out of Korea uh, in recent years. And it sort of had me excited for this one. And again, to give the IMDb synopsis, uh, when a pharmaceutical company's illegal experiments inadvertently create a zombie, the strange Park family finds it and tries to profit from it. The movie starts off, it's broad comedy. All right. I'd say the first half of this movie is a very broad comedy about this zombie. There's a pharmaceutical company that has done these experiments. And as the movie opens, um, you sort of hear these um, TV and radio uh, newscasts talking about this 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 company and they're under fire because they they lured college students and vagrants in to test this this drug on them and ended up you know these these people ended up dying from it and then we see what we assume is one of the college students crawl out of the ground where he was buried and start lumbering forward. Okay, this is the zombie of the first half of the movie. And there are scenes that reminded me of other recent Korean horror films. Okay, the Park family, the setup of the family reminded me a little bit of the family from The Host. But whereas the ones in The Host were sort of lovable losers, the family in this film are just sort of straight up losers, but almost with a criminal bent. 
All right. They have a gas station that's failing and they figured out a way um, to sort of rope people in and profit from them. So there's more of a criminal element to them with that. Um, there's a scene right towards the beginning that is almost lifted straight out of I Saw the Devil. And later on, um, when they're trying to set up the Park family, it's, 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 it's a, a, an older brother who's married and his wife is pregnant of a younger sister and then a middle brother who had been working uh, in the big city and came home to the boondocks here to be with the family. And there's a father also that, you know, the father is still alive and in the picture. Um, the middle brother who was in the city when they're starting to figure out what's going on with the zombie, he says, I know what's going on. And he pulls out his phone and shows them a scene from Train to Busan as to explain what's happening. So there's a lot of, of the, the sort of modern Korean horror films that are tying into this. But again, the first half of the movie is a broad comedy. Now, this is just 10 minutes short of two hours. And I remember thinking, how are they going to maintain this? How are they going to maintain this, this sort of crazy comedy? How are they going to maintain it? Well, how they maintain it is there's a complete shift at about the halfway point of the movie into other, I mean, this is almost like a genre bending type of film. But what's interesting is the Park family that are so comedic early on, their characters don't change as it shifts more into a horror direction. They're the same characters that they were early on, yet you're not laughing anymore at what's happening to the to this family. You're not, you're not laughing, you know, as to where it goes. And then ultimately where the film ends up at, at the end, it's again back into comedy, but it's so satisfying. I loved the way this movie ended. I really did. I loved the ending 10 minutes of this film. It's one that I think is going to take some time to grow on people. I think it's one that you, you know, it's, you're going to sort of watch it and then sort of think about it a little bit. It's not like a lot of the other Korean films like The Wailing and Train to Busan and I saw the devil where it just hits you right away and you know you're seeing something special. Zombie for Sale is going to take a little bit more time because it's so comedic at moments. You know, there are times that it's just, it's just so, again, a, a, a term I use with the hunt, approaching over the top sort of comedy that it's going to take a little while to sink in. But again, just hang in there because this does have a shift in there that is satisfying and then another shift and and uh, these characters who maintain their same level and yet you see them completely differently at the end of the film than you saw at the beginning and i thought that was a great element of it uh also um this is one i, I want to watch again because i could see maybe this even being a top 10 movie for me this year if not definitely an honorable mention and I didn't think that at first. As a matter of fact, as it was getting, you know, about maybe about 35, 40 minutes into the movie, it's like, all right, I'm just going to see the end of this. And then, you know, we'll just sort of move on. It, it's a movie that is going to surprise you time and again, I think. Um, and again, you sort of have to give it a little bit of latitude from the comedy aspects, even some of what happens later on. You just got to give it sort of a broad reach. This is not a typical zombie. This is not a George Romero type of zombie film. It's more of an infected because it's dealing with this, this pharmaceutical company, but it still has like traditional elements of the zombie uh, genre. And I think that it's one that it, it will stay with you more than you think it is going to at the beginning of the film. So I'm going to give this one in, in uh, right now an 8.5 with 
the reservation that it could go up in rating as I see it again. I doubt it will go down, but I could go up the next time I see it. And um, definitely one worth seeing. I know Arrow just released this on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's available online as well. Definitely see Zombie for Sale if you get a chance. Hmm. Well, cool. I don't think that was on my radar at all, Dave. So appreciate you. Yeah, very cool. Cool. Viewing that one. Yes. Yep. All right. So you guys want to go for from a zombie for sale to picking up a scare package? Yes. Uh, scare package is another horror comedy satire, like the last several we've talked about. I this movie was not for me. Um, I know a lot of people love this movie and have been buzzing about it. I love horror anthologies. I think a lot of the people who were not thrilled with this film are people who are not necessarily anthology fans. I'm a huge anthology fan, but this one, um, they were just, I, I, I think this is a hard thing about satire and comedy is that I think the satire has to be really smart. I don't think this was necessarily, it was pretty obvious, uh, a lot of it. And I didn't, for a comedy, I didn't think it was very funny. I, didn't laugh at almost any of the sections and the horror was basically non-existent for the most part. Now there's a lot of gore. And I think that's why this is a trying to appeal to horror fans because it's a meta take on different horror subgenres with a ton of gore and laughs. And I guess for me, I just didn't find the laughs and I didn't think the meta elements were super impressive. There were several segments. I, I did enjoy the comedy um, with this character played by Jeremy King. He played a character named Chad Buckley who's obsessed with Joe Bob Briggs and he owns his own video rental store, uh, Rad Chad's Horror Emporium. And their uh, logo is based on the last drive-in logo. <laughs> it's like the exact same. He's got that emblazoned on the back of his denim shirt and he's wearing a bolo and a, a cowboy hat and everything. And, and you know, he's, he's definitely a Joe Bob fan. And that element I enjoyed, although it still was just kind of silly and on the nose and there wasn't much horror to it. It was a world that felt like kind of nineties indie comedy that I could enjoy. I was, I was, I was on board, you know? Um, And I think watching this with Joe Bob on the last drive-in made this 10 times more enjoyable than just the watching the film on its own, which didn't do a ton for me. Um, other than the segment with Jeremy King, I also really enjoyed the segment with Noah Sagan. It's kind of about one of those groups of uh, like male rights groups that get around and pump each other up about being men and threaten each other with handguns and try to, convince each other that they're really tough and that they should be more masculine and, and stuff. <laughs> it's based around one of those groups who turn out to be a pack of werewolves. And that was fun. Uh, Noah Sagan directed that one and stars in it. Um, it's a little slight. And again, most of these are, there was one called one time in the woods, I believe is what that one was called, where it's a group of people on a camping trip and uh, they run into this guy who's transforming into a monster. And that was the one that I was re- truly laughing at because the gore was so over the top as this guy turns into like this just blob of ooze and his body decomposes. It was some of the best and the most hilarious body horror gore 
I've ever seen. I thought it was really funny and just nasty, disgusting. But the rest of the segment wasn't very good for like a, a slasher in the woods. You know, just none of it was very convincing on a horror level. Um, so that was kind of my my problem with it. And also if, for a film that's supposed to kind of be meta and deconstructing our understanding of these different horror genres, which is kind of what seems like the premise of what we're getting. I would say none of the genres represented felt very strong. Like they didn't really feel like you were in a true slasher or in a true uh, werewolf movie. You know, they, they always felt like these really extremely broad comedies in kind of these broad, comedy skit situations that um, like there's one where a, a girl finally captures the slasher that's been hunting down all of her boyfriends every summer. And so she attempts to kill him in every way possible. So she you know really goes to town on making him suffer and it just didn't work for me, you know, and, I, and a lot of people said that was their favorite, I guess maybe because it plays on the horror tropes the most, in terms of referencing them, but none of them are actually actualized in the tone or plotting of the film, if that makes sense. It never feels like you're in one of those movies very often. Maybe the opening cold open segment is the best at that, um, but for the most part, they're not. So uh, this was a huge disappointment for me because it had a lot of buzz Again, it was amplified by getting to watch it on the last drive-in. And, of course, there's a very special cameo in this film that almost makes it worth the runtime alone. But overall, uh, just not one of my faves. And uh, I would give this one a 4.5 and call it an avoid unless you see it on the last drive-in, in which case that probably knocks it up a good two points to get the uh, drive-in totals with it. And the Joe Bob commentary. Well, that's disappointing because I was actually looking forward to this mainly because I like the whole video store setting vibe. Right. Yeah, and that part's fun. Uh, and if you like horror comedies a lot, like you do, Joel, and you don't mind goofiness, I, you know, I think it's fun. But I, I really enjoy personally. Again, satire is hard, and I, and I think if you're going to satirize and deconstruct in kind of a postmodern meta way, a subgenre, I think a film like Scream which is extremely successful or Shaun of the dead, which legitimately feel like you're in that genre of film while it's being deconstructed or the final girls or final girls. Those work, you know, and final girls is extremely broad and doesn't feel necessarily like you're really in a slasher. It feels like a comedic version of broad comedic version of a slasher. And this I would say doesn't is that broadly comedic, but doesn't pull off. Gotcha. The same to the same level, you know? So, okay. Yeah. Well, you can't win them all. Yeah. You cannot, but I would love to hear what other people think. And I know our community was a lot higher on this than I was. So please leave your hate mail in the comments of horrormoviepodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that I guess wraps up all our feature reviews and mini reviews. So uh, do you guys have any little final things you want to say before we uh, sail off into the sunset? Just I'm excited to watch the movies you guys reviewed. I had had a couple of them on my list and a couple others weren't on my list. And so it's fun to get some good horror movie recommendations. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, yeah, there's several on here that I'm looking forward to quite I a bit. Feel, absolutely. I feel the same. Absolutely. All right. So if you want to find us online, you can check out Wolfman Josh on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. He is also on the Gods and Monsters, a Universal Monsters cast. And you can follow Gods and Monsters at Monsters cast on Twitter. Dr. Shock can, of course, be found all of his fantastic reviews at DVDinfatuation.com. And on Twitter, he is at DVDinfatuation. You can also like Doc's DVD Infatuation page on Facebook. And of course, Doc regularly appears on Land of the Creeps. And be sure to check out Dave's YouTube channel. Links for all that are in the show notes. I cover movies that are 20 years old or older at RetroMovieGeek.com. And you can follow RetroMovieGeek on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek. Or check out our Facebook group at RetroMovieGeek. And I also cover horror TV specials from the 70s and 80s with Allison, the horror unicorn, and Peter, just call him Pumpkinhead Nielsen, over there on Terror on the Tube. And remember, we love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcasts, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And be sure to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at HorrorMoviePodcast.com forward slash store. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us at Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. My other friend is on a show that shoots in Serbia. They were over there to shoot season three and the uh, network just greenlit their fourth season. They said, while you're over there, just shoot season four as well. They're like, just shoot season four. Just get it in the can. (laughs) So they're going to shoot another season back to back. Wow. Based on the fact that we've got two movies, one called Porno, the other called Scare Package. (laughs) (laughs) I almost did a movie called Dead Dicks. That'd have been a good oh, triple feature. I have that on my list. I want to see that. I, and I don't even know what it's about. I haven't read any uh, synopsis. <laughs> Use your it's imagination. It's actually a great concept. Awesome. Cool. You know how and I'm it, always saying uh, screw Ewan McGregor? <laughs> right. Yes. Well, uh, the, the reason for that is the director of The Art of Self-Defense, Riley Stearns. So. Yes. Yes. I remember you saying that. And I checked out this movie and knowing that. And I am a big fan of The Art of Self-Defense. I thought it was a really good movie. And I thought both Jesse Eisenberg and Evan Poots were good in that film. Awesome. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Dave. So that's our feature review for Vivarium. Is it Vivarium or Vivarium? Do you know? Is, is there a way to pronounce that correctly? Uh I'm sure there is. I don't know it. So go with okay. whatever. Go so, with whatever you want. Okay. Yeah, the Vivarium sounds good to me. And I, I will be interested to see what you think about this, Dave, because they listed as an action horror thriller. It's gory. Okay. But I, I don't know if I'd call it a horror movie. If I'm being, if we're going to do the whole, oh, is it a horror movie? I don't know. I mean, 
I guess it depends on your point of view. It's a definite satire, definitely action thriller. I could see all that dark comedy, but I guess in some sense, it's kind of like ready or not in that it's got that comedic, like you could say, oh, is that really, but I feel like ready or not without giving anything away may or may not have like a supernatural angle to it. So it kind of, and the whole vibe of it, I feel like let's and fall yeah, into horror. Isn't just humans hunting humans automatically. Horror. It's a horrific. Horror. Yeah. Yes. I, that's right. Yes. But I think you, I, I think, I think this one definitely the line of like thriller or horror, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if it go like, if you, would you call hunger games a horror movie? Cause I feel like it's kind of got that vibe, but it's, it's gorier, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I, it, it, that's like up for debate that I don't really care. Like one way or the other would, we'll call it for the purposes of this, a horror movie, especially since based on the rate we're going this year, it will probably be in my top 10. <laughs> so I, I probably should stop talking myself out of it. So um, about like battle Royale versus hunger games. Like what is Yes. It, oh, that's what perfect. Is it that yes. One. Yes. Roundly considered horror and the other one, not, is it the fact that, it's popular in the mainstream or is it no i think with battle royale it probably you'd have to go with the level of violence and gore and there's a darker i feel like there's a darker overall tone to right. battle royale right. than with this movie just when you say uh the most dangerous game to me that concept feels like a horror concept yeah, yeah. and i think that's a fair statement and it is so I, I, you know what and again i don't want to talk myself out of being able to include this on my top 10 so, <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so yes to your point it's a horror movie. We'll stick with it. A snapshot of, of the here and now and, and approaching it from from, uh, you know, from the absolute center of both of, of the entire situation. And that's, I think, what I what I responded to the, the, the most about it, that that it's looking at both sides of it in a satirical way. Yeah. Well, all right. I'll trust your ratings. <laughs> I don't know why it just seems like so, it just seems like you have to be so smart to pull off satire. And I did see the last season of Lost, and I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey, hey. No, like, hey, look, let's yeah, let's let's leave the last season of Lost. It is a flawed. It is a flawed masterpiece. Let's remember the first six seasons of Lost. Yes. You know what they were. Kayla Rosella. So here's a guy who, as far as I know, is the first. Pacific Islander to make a horror movie. I would have really liked to say that was me someday, but no, this guy beat me to it. Actually, I guess you could say Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement have made several horror adjacent, you know, films sure. and television series. But this is just a straight up bloody gory horror film. But I thought of, can I first ask off, you a quick question? Yeah, yeah. On Letterboxd, this is listed as Grand Open, The Odd Family, Zombie On Sale. Is that the same movie? <laughs> Grand Open, The Zombie... Oh. The Odd Family, Zombie On Sale. I think it's the same film. It says uh, an affluent um, neighborhood family is visited by a zombie. Th that happens in the movie. Okay. That, <laughs> uh, that could be I, as to that title. Um, you know what? Yeah, I, I could see that title being, being, you know, being the same for this film for Zombie for Sale. Okay. Uh, the original title is Gim Johan Gajok. Okay, there you go. That there you go. So maybe that translates to Odd Family Zombie, you know, whatever the hell you said. Um, and you know what? It's, it's funny. You know what? I I, I want to say something so bad right here, but it's kind of a spoiler. And, uh, you know, all right, I'm, I'm going to say it. So if, if anyone, you know, just, okay, I'm going to say, it's going to think it's not going to ruin it for, it's, it's not going to ruin it for Josh though, is it? What's that? 
It's not going to ruin it for Josh, is it? I am going to uh, take my earphones out, put up the little hand, Joel, when it's over. okay. All right, this okay. is 10 seconds. All right, and when you're editing okay. it, Josh, keep that in mind too. I think it's I think it's funny how in this very sort of political atmosphere, the middle of the road character is the strongest in the film. The one, yeah, or, or or you could or you could even go so far as to say the character that is apathetic to everything because she's so consumed by her own personal yes. stuff and shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yes. I love Which, that. By the way, I love that, that, uh, that this person who was out of place of everything. Yeah. Going that was on what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yep, strongest yep. character in the film. When I made the comment about the twist, that, that, that to me was what the, what the twist was. All right, I'm gonna put the hand up. So Josh, yep, come back. Yep. All right, hold on. You back, Josh. Hopefully he sees it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know, Josh, try to see it before you listen to that. Because yeah. I would actually consider yeah, yeah, that before, to be before you edit the movie. Before you edit those 10 <laughs> yeah. seconds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you can, if you can, if you can get it in. Me, they'll see this movie immediately. <laughs> yeah. So, so Josh, I realize this wasn't necessarily your top movie to watch. So immediately after the show, go watch it. Uh, I'm just going to be completely honest. Uh, until this review, mm -hmm. I was not going to ever watch this movie. And... <laughs> Uh, the only reason I was considering it is because it was a double feature at the drive-in with the Invisible Man. It was the only reason oh. I thought oh. I might ever actually see this movie. Yeah, I was never going to watch this. So you both giving it a nine, well, and then also forcing me to watch it before I edit this episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs>